0: Well, welcome everyone to today's podcast for the real stories, real people, real life. Our guest today is a philanthropist, business owner, songwriter, but anyone who sees this will know he is one of Australia's wildest acts on stage. He entertains everybody.
1: Welcome to the show, Adam Thompson. Rob, it's good to be here and uh, a long time coming, but as we promised, we'll make it happen. We will make it happen. As most people who listen
0: into our podcast or watch it, they know that this is all about the story behind the story. Most people know you as the front man of Chocolate Starfish, but there was something before that. I heard you grew up about a half an hour north of Shepparton and Victoria.
1: I did, and I was born in a little country town called uh, New Mirka, which is yes. uh, about another half an hour um, south of the border, um, New South Wales border, and... Born in the New Mirka Base Hospital and then uh, lived on a farm uh, up until I was about 18 at uh, midpoint between the two in a place called Telegrutner. Mm. And uh, when they talk about one-horse towns, they pretty much uh, write the postcard over Telegrutner. It's a tiny little town, um, yeah. but a great place to have grown up and a great place to have, I guess, developed some grounding and, and some value set. So
0: uh, I've been through the Goldman Valley. There's, a, no, there's more than one type of farm down that way as
1: it goes across into South Australia. What type of farm was the family on? So it was a, a dairy farm uh, and uh, within our farming family for at least 120 years, wow. uh, that, um, that block of land. And um, it was, you know, I guess my great grandfathers before my grandfather and it was a dry, um dry land before that and then it became agriculture with um irrigation yep and that's when uh that when they got into dairy when yeah. uh, in, the, in the beginning a uh, dairy was relatively lucrative and uh you know you could make a a reasonable living off it and that's what my dad went into and mm. and you know as a <laughs> as a farm boy of uh, of my early and teenage years uh yep. Only of nights uh, looking after the cows when Dad had to go off to a meeting and yeah, in fact I still have dreams about it, Rob. It's really quite. Yeah. There was this- <laughs> I'm segueing right now, but there was That's this-, okay. this-, this one moment where you had to um, uh, you had to flush out the pipes basically in a, yes. in a shed uh, with some chemicals, and then you start milking and. Um, uh, and you have to remember to put the, um, the hose back into the vat so that the milk tanker could come and take it away. And uh, I remember a couple of times when I was midway through the, milking the cows and realizing that I hadn't put the hose back into the vat, and all—oh no! All the milk uh, was running uh, was running down. So the, the, the farm cats had a great day that day. And how did you explain that to your father? Well. You know, he he knew that um, it wasn't exactly my calling to be a uh, a farmer. I think he pretty much took a look at me and some of the outfits that even I wore back in those days. And yeah, uh, but uh, you know, it was one of those things that I you know I did for the for the good of the family. And uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> he he accepted it. <laughs> were you were you more a sporting kid or were you more an academic kid? Definitely more of a sporting kid and. Yeah. Um, in fact i've i've started doing on on social media this thing called sunday salutes and mm-hmm. so every sunday i i do a salute to somebody in my life that has helped shape mm-hmm. the person i am and and sometimes that can be a single moment in life that you know you hear a a message of inspiration mm-hmm. another time yeah. it can be uh you know a relationship over over several years and and anyway this week i I did my my basketball coach um, in the under seventeens, and uh, he was a brash, fast talking American that uh, that taught me a lot about life during those uh, those early years of, of basketball, which was the sport that I was most passionate about. So, what did you do when you left school? So, when I finished year twelve, mm. I um, I went um, year eleven and twelve were difficult years because my mum my mum passed yep. at year eleven. And uh, so I changed schools um, and, you know, they always talk about sliding doors, moments, and I changed schools because I knew I was going to, if I tried to do year 12 in the in the high school that I had so many memories and so many um, challenges in that I was going to fail because I only yep. jumped through year 11, went on to the different high school and it happened to have a drama program. Oh, right. Which my first school for, for the first five years of, of high school didn't have. and. Yep. So it was in that year 12 year that I discovered um, performing and I discovered drama and acting and um, and I guess it planted a bit of a seed that when I went on to uni two years later at yeah. Deacon, uh and uh, I literally answered an ad in the um, Geelong Advertiser that said yep. single wanted.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I thought,
1: yes. hang on I've sung in the West Side Story Chorus in year uh, <laughs> 12. Surely that uh, that equates uh, singer-wanted, but I thought it'd be like a wedding reception band. Yeah. And the guy, when I turned up, uh, he said, no, it's actually I'm a songwriter, and he said, I, I don't sing great, and he said, I need someone to help me write the songs. Yep. I was nearly going to, you know, be truthful and say, West Side Story, you know, behind a cyclone fence, uh, making shapes doesn't really cut it. Yeah. Uh, and he said, mate, you're the only person who's applied for the ad, and I've spent 100 bucks. would you mind writing a song with me and see what happens. And I did and quit uni the next week and 10 years later had an Aria Award. And, 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 you know, Australian Music Awards for the yeah. uh, popular act. So.
0: Did you uh, you remember what that song was called, your first ever? Not at all.
1: <laughs> 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 and you, you would think that I would. You'd think it would have such a profound effect, but it was not so much the song itself, but more what it enabled me to to realise that songwriting all of a sudden became a cathartic um, tool that I could use to I guess express what I was feeling about any any given moment and, and um, you know help me work through some of the issues that that I'd had since the passing of my mum and my sister and a couple other you know sort of tragedies in my life back in mm. in the teenage years so it became a really important tool and to be honest it still is today um, a good mate of mine's also a songwriter and a performer
0: and he said songwriting is a gift it's not something can really be you can you can go to school you can go to here and be taught the basics of how to write a song how to do a bridge how to do all that but a true songwriter it's a gift how yeah, would you
1: would you agree with him on that i would agree and I disagree um okay. only because um you know a, a large part of my last 15 years is has actually been um Teaching groups of people how to co-write a song around, you know, either mm-hmm. in an Aboriginal community, we we do a lot of work in it yep. around a social issue that needs exploring, which is uh, music's fantastic for. is great for, mm-hmm. um, or, or you know, or it could be in a corporate company that we do lots of um, tuning teams as the yep. product, and um, you know, I guess bringing their mission statement to life, but. I'd also agree with you in, in the other side of the coin, it sounds like I'm on, on the fence here, but I think the really special songs, the ones that, and I, and I always equate that I don't know where some of these ideas come from, lyrically, melodically. I think yeah. they come from a, a place, you know, much higher than me. And uh, sometimes if I'm given the gift of, of a message or, or, or a line, and I, I reflect back and go, where the hell did that come from? That's That's yeah. no influence of mine. That's no... Um, That's nothing I've ever experienced. But all of a sudden, there might be three or four words in a in a melody together that I've never heard before, and I know, I know it's the basis to a new a new song. Yeah. So your
0: first half of the of the band band time is in leading up to Chocolate Starfish, and then with all of that, mm. when you first started out, I know when I was a young fellow, my parents. You had pubs, and I used to stand as a little fella to the side of the band, and I could watch all the bands for nothing because I was the manager's son. But they all used to say one thing when they used to talk to them. They said it was a hard slog. They loved it. They didn't make any money because they either drank most of it or Mm. spent it on petrol to get to the gig. Before you actually uh, had success, how hard of a slog was it going in? Because, I mean, to be honest, anyone that reads up about you and knows you, Chocolate Starfish themselves had the reputation of being one of the most hardworking gigging bands. You would go anywhere. Mm. And that was before you you were a big hit. Was it yeah. as tough as they say? Look I mean, an overnight success in five years,
1: you know. Yeah, exactly. And look, you've opened a, a can of worms there that, you know, we could probably do a whole different podcast on. Yes, but we could. It's um, about, you know, where the industry currently sits and, mm. and talking about the hard slog. But, um, you know, I guess what you've got to realise is that when I answered that ad back in Geelong, that was like 83 and it was... Mm uh 1993 when we put out Mm. um your survey so that's a 10 year period with a lot of bands that you know i I call them you know the nilly the nilly bands they nearly got you know and uh, no matter what your what your field of pursuit is there's a lot of moments that um are nilly and that but i think they also they make up the capacity of what you know you have when you are given that One opportunity or two opportunities to really make a difference um you've had those inverted commas failures and you've had Mm. those those struggles and those down moments so the the 10 years even before starfish were were just as as hard of a slog with different lineups and different you know band names etc um but as they were for all the other members of chocolate Mm. starfish we all had uh similar challenges and you know, it's a cliche, but, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, as, as you yeah. as you would know. And, you know, I look at um, the way the industry is now, and I'm only just going to, you know, do a touch point on this. Yeah. It was being able to tour incessantly. It was being in pubs where the sound meter would blow the first time the... And for the people listening to this who are under 35, they're going to go, what's a sound meter? Yeah, well, a sound meter is basically this machine that, um, you know dampens your sound that if you're too over a certain decibel the whole power would cut out for two or three minutes uh so many times during the starfish period you know we'd we'd be in the middle of the very first intro to the very first song and we'd blow the sound meter and i'd have two options walk off stage like a prima donna and wait till it came back on or jump out in the crowd and keep them um engaged and so that's when i learned some so many of the tricks of the trade that I have today where it doesn't matter what situation you put in i know how to entertain in the early years what was the fuel that kept you going now
0: i mean you would have done gigs where there would have been 20 people you would have done gigs when there was hundreds and hundreds yeah before you got that big success with that and mountain and four-letter word what was it that kept you going
1: so had you asked me this question back in the 90s i would have said you know the the desire to be successful at my craft was my driving force. Um, but if I'm answering it truthfully today, yeah. uh, in my 50s, uh, after having done a lot of psychology work on uh, on myself and, you know, my own battles with, with mental health, um, yeah. I realised now that my driving factor was actually my mum's my passing. And,
0: really?
1: Uh, yeah, so, and this was only in the last few years that I've realised this, is that the there was like a latent feeling inside that, you know, mum passed when she was 37. Mm. Okay. So she never got the chance to really live any of her dreams or her goals. So there was this, um, the sub narrative beneath me that was almost doing it as much for her as it was for me. So yes, yeah. I want to make something of myself, of yeah. course, but I also wanted to make her proud. I also wanted to, um, you know, I guess do some of the things that, some of the risks, some of the challenges that a 37-year-old a farm girl never got a chance to do. So what
0: was it like inside the first time you had a good-sized crowd
1: and they started singing your song back to you? Uh, let's see, that that still... To, in fact, um, if, if, if you can actually still <laughs> actually got the goosebumps now. Um, it, it evokes still almost every sense in me so it evokes a memory of course but it evokes um smell i can actually smell the 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 full crowd singing with and condensation driven off the the feeling of this pub in geelong and um and you can hear the sounds and you can and, and you can just and you can see the faces of people that somehow you you've reached them you've 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 created something, you've created a, um, not just a band, but you've created songs that are resonating with, with people and, and they're, they're understanding the melody and the message as passionately as what you were when you wrote it. But in yeah. some instances, even more so.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, the band took a break, but I'm sure yeah. you didn't. During those years there where before you reformed in 2013, mm. what was Adam doing?
1: Oh, Adam was doing so much. <laughs> so I, when I said we took a break from each other and it was, you know, it was, I guess it was overdue. You know, myself and Zoran, my um, co-writer, he was the guitarist mm. in the band. He passed away yeah. uh, not long after 2013, actually. And mm. um, so it was just sort of when we we're getting back together again and he, he passed away from non-Hodgins' lymphoma much. Yeah. excuse me, and um, so we, we took the break because you know I guess you know I personally needed to understand more about my own capacity in this yeah. world, and a lot of people talk about you know wanting those um, those pivotal moments where you can um, discover more about yourself, but I had this overwhelming thing that yes I'd been successful in rock and roll to a certain point. Um, but I knew that I was greater than the sum of just that. And, yeah. Uh, and, and there was this overwhelming altruistic um, streak in me that was, was coming through. The more I read, the more I, you know, started to understand um, that I wasn't the same person I was when I was in my 20s, yeah. um, you know. I, there was a new Adam Thompson emerging and... I guess for him to go back to chocolate starfish and reacquaint with the guys it couldn't be as, as the 20, you know, 25 year old guy that, um, was into, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Um, it was more about, um, what, you know, what's the sum of my, of my personality. And so I did a lot of sabbaticals to international countries and, Mm. you know, lived out with a Maasai in Kenya for a bit. And, um, but it was all, it was all to really understand um, who you know who I was and how I wanted to live the the rest of my life, and I guess start to to develop some new tools, mate, that um, that could see me through that next phase or phases of my of my existence. So, is that when you found meditation? Uh, or all the beginnings of it. The beginnings of yeah, the beginnings of through through a, through a girlfriend. Um, and I must say, it was very much only the beginnings of, because if I think in truth, you know, I was probably more into the meditation so I could be with her than what I was with the feeling <laughs> of meditation. Um, but it was actually um, around about uh, 2008 when I um, really experienced um, proper meditation through my guru mm-hmm. in, in India, a bloke called um, Sri Sri Ravishankar, who runs... The art of living, and it's an interesting. It's not. It's a non-religious um, meditation and breathing program that I, I found to be the most. Um, uh, I guess the most calming and the most constant. Whenever things get a little bit overwhelming, um, that's the one I can I can lean back on, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's just great. Now, calming and
0: constant isn't something that most people that see you from the uh, outside the stage think of you. But before we get into that and the, uh, the comeback and what you do now, uh, I, was, I was looking at you going, I've, I've been privileged to meet a lot of artists, a lot of uh, performers, a lot of people that go on stage of any form. And many of them are different person off stage to on stage. On stage, they feel quite safe and they'll do things on stage In a good way, then they they will never ever do off
1: stage. Do you see that a lot in your fellow performers? I do, Uh, and again, that's another huge can of worms that could almost be its own podcast. Um, Yeah, it could. We and and to equate back to what I was just talking about, um, we all, as as performers, you know, have a a comfort zone, and usually, Mm -hmm. usually for many, that is the stage, right? Yeah. And had I not challenged myself to other domains and other um, experiences, uh, that probably would have been me as well, where, um, you know, outside the stage, you know, talk to my manager, et cetera, et cetera. But I've realized that um, it, it's a little bit limiting, um, particularly as, as you age. It's almost like, um, and this is where I think, you know, older performers who have never had more laconic um experiences outside their bubble yes uh, are really missing out they're really missing out like when i go and sit in the dirt in an aboriginal community after writing a song with with the kids yeah. on you know um scabies let's say yeah. um that is such a vulnerable moment for um anyone right but let alone someone who's you know Um, live their life, you know, in a public domain, a Mm. public space. Um, But it's also something now that makes me more complete, and that's the only way uh, I can describe it. It it completes me. Every new experience I have that is outside the bubble uh, is another thing that completes my tapestry, if you quote quote Carol King, you know. I think a lot of performers
0: don't realise that the audience aren't as dumb as they think. And I've sat at some of the concerts that you're performed at, and they we're yes. not, certainly not talking about you guys, and I have watched people on stage and many other concerts and public speaking and all that, and you know when someone's invested in the show and you know when they're just going through the motions. And the crowd picks up on it very, very quickly and yes. you can tell i mean we're not musos i'm certainly not a muse i was an old roadie and that's why because i couldn't sing or play an instrument but you knew if you're on stage or behind stage if the act was on or not and the crowd picks that up if we mm. fast forward i remember we were looking at an advertisement and label was a local paper on the net and it came up red hot summer tour and i looked mm. down the list and of course down i think it was first or second band was chocolate starfish and my wife went Weren't they a band somewhere in the '90s? I <laughs> said, "Yeah, they were awesome." She went, "Oh," and we were going. And I think it was probably your first or second uh, gig when you just came back into the onto that thing. And we sat there and we didn't even pay attention to the light when who was on when and what. And all of a sudden, we heard this noise on stage, and it was uh, the whole crowd. Like there was only probably a couple hundred people down the front. And all of a sudden someone turned around and you guys had just exploded onto the stage in your normal quiet fashion. Mm. And the crowd of 5,000 just shifted and they all started running towards the stage
1: Mm.
0: because you guys had come on. Because when you see a good band that comes on and they can play good, it gets their imagination. And you started with one of your hits and the place just went absolutely mad. Now, I've seen you do it there. I've seen you do it at the Emerald Theatre when you did Bohemian Rhapsody. So I have been asked to ask you this question. How do you get yourself in that state to be able to walk on stage and deliver? I mean, not everyone can do it, but Mm. I've seen you many, many times. And I don't think I've seen you, and I'm not saying this for the sake of it, I don't think I've ever seen you guys not put on a good show.
1: Mm.
0: It's not easy just to flick the switch. Even when you've had a bad day, you've got to walk out on stage when people expect
1: Adam and the whole band to be on. How do you do it? Well, it's um, if it was your wife who asked the question, which I hope. It, well, I'm, I'm not sure who asked the question to, for you to. It ask. It was my wife. Yes. If it was your wife? Well, uh, Mrs. Elliot. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it is a very, very hard thing, and um, it it takes an incredible amount of energy, and it doesn't end when the last encore finishes either. No. So um, I talk about recently my, you know, my struggles with um, anxiety and depression.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I put myself in such a state of um, readiness and and it's such a buildup that it takes me five hours to come down and I'm not exaggerating. So yeah. if I walk off stage at 11, um, without drugs i or any any downers i i would be lucky to be asleep by 4 a.m when the rest of the crowd has gone to sleep so um how do i flip the switch on it's it's a it's a set of processes i Mm. i run i do a lot of vocal warm-ups i but i also mentally meditate as well so i I get myself in that um in that zone so that i almost imagine what the crowd's going to be like, I, you know, I almost will them, if you want, yeah. Um, yeah. to come on this on this journey with me. But I think over that, layered over that is, is the intent of which it comes from. And you've yeah. it before about if a band are just dialing it in and um, they're there for the money, they're there, yeah. whatever, uh, you feel it. And I, overarchingly, when I walk on stage, I have to come from a place of love that I want that crowd to have the best night of their life. Now, whether they do or not, I'm kind of powerless, but if I can give them every bit of energy I've got, for 90% of those people, it ends up being the best night they've ever had because they can feel that emotion coming from me. It's it's a question I ask everyone, it doesn't matter what field they're in. Uh, there
0: are times when you've got to walk on stage. I know when I've emceed and you've had an average day, you've got to be in state because people expect you to do it and yes. walk on. Uh, I noticed, I remember I was at the uh, gig when Vanessa Amorossi played her first gig back in Australia after being overseas. And I heard later that she was incredibly nervous and she was a little worried because she wouldn't know, she didn't know people would still remember her. Mm. And I think she got through to her third song and the crowd started to sing back and as you were talking before and she got emotional on stage Mm. and it was emotion for a good way when
1: you guys came
0: back did you go through the same journey
1: yes so we um it was it was amazing we got we got on to the the red hot summer tour in in 2013 and um was just around still but i think he was he was he was not well and I wasn't sure of how I'd, of how I'd perform. I, I knew I had all lot of skills and all these other ways of being, but I probably wasn't match fit. I wasn't physically fit. Um, and we went on, and, and probably similar to what Vanessa experienced uh, the very first gig, it was actually overwhelming how much they, the crowd switched on. Yeah. And then inside I went, oh, shit. I've now got to do this for the next 15 shows, right? And they've got to be better than the last one. So by the time I got to the last one, um, and this is where anxiety can be, you know, and and your own vision, which you've got to balance, you talk about balance. Um, I was so worked up that I hadn't slept for four days before the last um, show at um, Jacob's Well. So in my my history, I've never cancelled a show except for that one and it was just our, you know it was our comeback it was like the last show of the tour but i had to i had to cancel her. i literally was i was very unwell um but when we got back on red hot summer tour last year and and did it again and we went back to jake as well and i've got a lot more you know again things mm-hmm. in my toolbox that helped me deal with this now i mm-hmm. i made that announcement you know really openly and vulnerably to the crowd that yeah. I had to blow this out um five years ago um but thank you for waiting and thank you for, you know, being, being part of our lives in the meantime. And man, the, the response from the crowd was something I've never heard before. There was just this overwhelming spontaneous applause, um, because I, I guess I just opened up my heart even further and that's what every performer should do. They should. Yeah. I think uh, crowds are a very good barometer
0: and, uh, When you're open and honest with them, it doesn't matter if your crowd can be someone you're going to see to sell a product to or Mm. the person that you're serving at Woolworths. It's all the same. You're open and honest. They do pick it up. Now, one of the other reasons I did ask you to come on the show is because you're more than just a performer. Uh, Part of your, your life is being a bit of a philanthropist, and you've got something called Music Manic, Muso Magic. Muso Magic, yes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's just not all about the corporate side. There's a bit of a soft side to you in that as well.
1: Yeah. That a lot of people don't know, so... Muso Magic's the parent company. It's a big beast, actually. Um, So it's got lots of arms to it. We started off, um, you know, working in high schools um, for the disadvantaged kids back around 2000. Uh, And it started, actually, when um, the very first year that... um, they put Australian Idol on TV and I just, uh, literally I froze with this and, you know, kids were crying and there was all those classic balls, you know? And I thought, my God, that is just not why I create. That's not why I perform. It's not about judgment. It's not about, um, you know, being in the top 20 or the top 100. It's about what this creative sphere can give me. I've got to design something that's the opposite to that. So yeah. I did. And I designed something that was all inclusive for um, for creativity, for, for people that have never done it before, but, but know that there's, like every single one of us, know that there's a bit of a story inside us and yeah. if we contribute to the greater good. So it started with schools not long after that went out to Aboriginal communities and yep. um, that's where we still work. Uh, to even today, for the last 20 years, we've been um, helping Indigenous kids and communities mm-hmm. um, write their story around... Um, social issues, and and yeah, you know, it can be anything from cyberbullying all the way through to uh, you know like a heart disease, rheumatic heart disease, for example. Um, and then I, and then of course it went over to India as well. So that's mm. another big passion of mine. We've got a music yes. academy in uh, in Mumbai where uh, we, where we've got uh, a young couple who who look after kids from the slum areas, and you know. Yep. You, the, through our charity, um, which is called Musikarma, so that's one of yes. the what's one of the arms. So Musikarma is the charity. Yes. Teams in Tune is the um, is the corporate side. Yep. And Empower is um, is the youth um, program that is f- for schools and featuring you know men- peer mentoring. So first, I'll go with on the corporate side. Have you
0: ever been in a situation where the the corporate stiffs, as many call them, just Find it hard to open up and embrace the music side of it to uh, relax and
1: yeah. So they they find it hard every time. I mean, it, every single time it's a challenge. And yeah. uh, with the corporate side, um, we we rarely tell them what they're going into. Okay? <laughs> uh, so with the core team of the you know the HR department, you know we just we just label it a team engagement day, mm. and they turn up because. This is what adults like and something around the age of 15, when we reach puberty, we start to get all insecure. And yes. the whole, um, you know, am I good enough? Will this be good enough? Mm. You know, where will I be pigeonholed? Which is the premise of that whole reality TV stuff. And if I don't allow them to build up a brick wall before they come to the workshop, yeah. I've got them, right? Yeah. Once they're in the room with me and I get them to make a commitment to me in the first five minutes, to trust the journey, trust the process, right? Put your phone away, right? Yes. Right? Because you don't need it right now. You've been given dispensation from your company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got three hours with me, and in this three hours, we're going to write an anthem, we're going to sing it, we're going to act it, we're going to design the film clip, blah, blah, blah. Um, and mostly they doubt that it's possible. That's the first yeah. One, yeah? Uh, and then... You know, part B of that is if you let them know beforehand, they would find every excuse under the sun as to why they shouldn't be there. So true, so true. Yeah? But if they walk in and just allow me to, that's the magic yeah. part, and that's my gift, and I'm actually designing it online as we speak, um, designing how um, I can help companies um, with their leadership presence um, own their stage, own their video conference, own, wow. own their capacity to relate to their audience, and, and and that's this like what we what you and I are working yeah. on right now. This is our stage. Yes, for it for, is for, for as long as we don't know, right? Yes. So we, you know, it's not just a passing fade fad. Now this is going to be our stage for quite some time. So we better get good at it.
0: Look, there are so many guys I've interviewed, corporate people at corporate events. They can't do public speaking. They get it in their mind. They can't but they'll sit on stage with me on a chair and I can lead them down the garden path if I so choose. Yes. And then I'll walk off on stage and say, you just did public speaking. And they just, they just break into a sweat. When you go to the Indigenous communities, what's something you've learnt from them when you've been teaching and talking to the kids about music?
1: Oh, wow. Um, the greatest thing that I've learnt from Indigenous communities is Listening. And it's the greatest gift that um, I've been given. Yep. We as Westerners expect an answer straight away from our conversation. We expect, um, you know, dead air is almost the energy, the enemy. And, yes. Um, but there's an energy that comes from silence. That, which I believe, if you, you know, I'm not talking religion here, but if you talk about you know, the big bang coming from nothing, I think also these sparks of creativity emanate from silence. Yeah. So what they've taught me, and God, I've been in moments, I'll give you one now, where I was with um, an Aboriginal family literally cooking um, witchery grubs out of mm. the two trees. Yep. And we're having a laugh and talking about things, and all of a sudden, uh, and I'm sure, you know, all the listeners will have, Um, seen this when they've seen kangaroos it was this instant and it was this pause for about and the two women and uh and the guy and they just froze and looked off in a direction and froze for about 20 seconds and came back and said we got to go and i said why and he goes kodachi man he won't get you, but he's going to get Aboriginal people. We've got to go. So all three simultaneously wow. felt, felt the spirit of the yeah. Kadarja man, right? And it was like when kangaroos hear a sound yes. and the whole mob stops. So what Aboriginal people have taught me in every circumstance is the answer will come, but let it be considered more than just a knee-jerk response.
0: Oh,
1: wow. Wow. Let it, That's awesome. Let it come, and it will always come. Yes, but, it will. But usually, um, people just and you know, and we've seen got the, you know, hmm. the other degree where people just incessantly don't stop talking, um, and half the time without any you know um, fabric to their conversation. But Indigenous communities have taught me to listen and just to pause. Wow. And so, what does your charity do? So music Karma um, basically takes, uh, picks up where Magic, um leaves off. So when we do these, uh, these, these programs, we identify people with a, a vision and a goal that don't have yeah. the means yes. to, to live it. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, we, and, 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 and India has been a big part of that um, as well. Um, so the, the young people that that work over there for us um, are from slum backgrounds. And mm. um, the indigenous side of things here, I've got a young man in uh, in Bright. He's he's on scholarship um, from his community up in the top end of Australia, up near, mm. up near Bowen. And he's living in Bright um, teaching uh, that language, Pata, to mm. uh, Bright High School and uh, our scholarship to him because his best mate died in a um, in a drowning accident. Yep. His scholarship from us to him, while he uh, well, can have to be a producer, so that when he goes back to community, he's going to be able to um, not just run our programs on on key messages, but he's going to be able, as a um, traditional owner, capture the stories of the land that the white fellas are not meant to hear. Yes. Right. Yeah. So- You'll have the capacity to capture those stories from the elders, keep them in in vaults that only teachers yes, alone have um, a record of, and the language and the and the stories and the song lines won't be lost. Yeah, that's awesome because uh, it doesn't yeah. matter whose history or what history.
0: Uh, a mate of mine who's a songwriter once said, every time grandma dies, a bit of history dies with her. Mm. There's that's- always something that's not passed on, and I think that. I think Indigenous uh, history, history from all over the country, doesn't matter where it's from, should be kept good, bad and different. We need to know exactly what happened before us. We need to know where things came from and and, and why and how people think. Absolutely. Uh, I think yeah. that's absolutely awesome,
1: mate. So our, our TV show that's on NITV, it's called mm. Outback Backtracks, and it's yep. um, not only is it the songs and videos created by the kids, but we've got these... Um, these uh segments and they're all around um you know positive messaging um, not just for indigenous but for everyone so there's there's a, a segment called mob on the job and our host um mitch tambo is actually um you might know of mitch he, he did that version of your the voice uh in language yeah i've um, heard of him yeah Oh um, yeah and he's our host on that show and he um he follows you know everyone from um council workers all the way through to Um, you know, guys who uh, who are bank tellers, you know, all about what they have to do for their job, why it's important, what they've learnt. So it sort of demystifies the the steps for a lot of young kids who then relate to it a lot more. So if you are... If today's Adam Thompson went back to
0: Geelong and he looked up and there was the 20-year-old Adam Thompson Mm. just starting out on his uh, journey... And he walked down and he went, hello, Mr. Thompson, how are you? (laughs) I'm told to come and say hello. Uh, And you're standing there, blispended in your red kilt and all
1: that, looking up at him. Yeah. What would you tell a 20 year old Adam? The only bit of advice I'd have, I wouldn't change much because I think every, every experience I had was the one I had to have. Yes. Um, True, very true. Very, I think it's very true. And um, I and there's a woman that I know called Jill Hicks, and she's got this mantra that if it was not for da da da, this wouldn't have happened. True. Oh, that, that's a good one. It's a great one, isn't it? Yeah. And sometimes when it happens to you, you think um, I wish that didn't happen. You, you even utter the words, "I wish that didn't happen." Why couldn't it be different? But uh, it always happens for a reason. Always puts you in a better place if you if you can learn from it. So. The only bit of advice I'd have to that 20 year old is to uh, still have his work ethic, still have his dreams and his goals and his his desires. But I'd probably tell him to worry a little bit less. Um, Yeah. So because, yeah, I probably, you know, worried too much about things. And, you know, and I realised in later life that was um, that was the anxiety. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we've all been guilty of that. We always finish up with a similar question. If you and your wife are sitting on a lovely picnic bench down at Albert Park mm-hmm. and there's room for three other
1: people to come and join you. Yes. Who would you have and why? Ah, oh, okay. So I would have Freddie Mercury because I don't have any other musical <laughs> idols, right? Uh, hey, it's not a bad one to have. It's not a bad one to have and you've seen me do beheming, and I and I was never trying to dress up like Freddie, like a tribute band. I just wanted to deliver his songs and and that band's songs with passion. So, but Freddie and I share a very common um, uh, belief that everything can be bigger and everything can yes. be better yes. and everything can be greater. And so I'd have him because it would just make a fabulous night. Um, be, a long night. Uh, it'd be a long night, it would be. Um, I definitely have my, my guru, um, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar there, because um, he just taught me so much and, and, and I wouldn't be the person I am without him. He'll be my Sunday salute uh, in the next few weeks. So for those who watch Adam Thompson official, you'll be learning more about him. Um, and I the, the third one.
0: Um, you can have a fourth if you really need to. We can pull up another stump. Yeah,
1: we, we we probably can. Um, yeah, look, you know, I, I would think I'd like mum there, um, and I think I'd want mum there because I, I never got to converse with her as an adult. Um, mm. So she only remember she'd only remembered me as a kid, and, I, and I've only re- remembered her as a as a fourteen year old, mm. and that was when she passed. So um, to have a dinner party and for to get her to meet my wife Mel and to. Um, I guess just, just talk to her as an adult um, would be one of the greatest gifts. In fact, it's the reason why when I watch Costner's Field of Dreams, mm. when his dad comes out of the cornfield and he has that... I'm getting quite emotional now. Um, when, he has that, when he has that moment where he gets to play catch yes. with his dad, right? Yes. And there's no one else there and his wife's working on. And, you know, just to be able to sing... A song to Mum, and just to talk with her for an hour would be God. one of the greatest gifts,
0: mate. It would be. I think we've all a little bit uh, on the same side there. We'd all like to be able to do that with one of our pa- parents that have passed. And mm. uh, I think that's absolutely awesome. I uh, look. It's been an absolute brilliant chat with you. I, I'm pretty sure everyone's going to understand now that there is a very different side to Adam. Not just the wild man on stage. There's a, there's a, hu- there's a heart as big as his performance. That's the best thing I can say about talking to you today. It's been a privilege. I cannot wait to be standing in front of you again when we're gigging, sitting there and just lifting up a, a cold can, going "G'day mate, how are you?" Because we are looking forward to. I think the whole country is looking forward to
1: getting back to some live music as soon as we can. Yeah, uh, and, uh, you know, just hang in there, everybody, because it, you know nothing lasts forever and yes. we all know that so just make the most of of wherever you are and i think that's that's the only bit of closing advice i can give you know it's it's out of our control so control the things that you can and, and that's your happiness towards the current state and that's all you can do mate and as i always say at the end of my podcast have a groovy day
0: thanks rob well, everyone, thanks again for listening to today's podcast don't forget These podcasts are brought to you by Resilient Sales Coaching. You can find us on the web at www.robelliott.com.au. I hope you have an absolutely awesome day.